Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tim and Tim Talk. This is a continuation. I'm not doing this alone. I have my fantastic and amazing co-host, Tim Kerbavas. Why did I try? I almost said your name wrong, and I caught myself. You caught yourself that time, and it's a good thing we're catching ourselves, Tim. We are uh, going on a deep dive this episode. We've been deep. We're going deeper. Get your your diving helmet on because we're going to get some nitty-gritty in this one. We're going into it, and you know what? This whole episode is about sort of catching ourselves and putting systems in place that make sure the production is seamless. But let's also make sure, Tim, if you, our fellow audience, is uh, is this is your first episode, please do us a favor. I, this is so hard for me to say, Tim, but, but let's tell them to stop and back it up. Right. Because right. episode number one, we explained the big picture about what we're doing and the choices that we make. Tim, what did we talk about after episode one? Then we talked about what happens inside the studio control room. And, and we should say this is for Google I.O., a developer conference, um, remote production from our studio here. 100% your studio. virtual in in san francisco and 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 so we're looking at last episode what happens in that control room what are all these key positions in that control room not and control room control about, rooms rooms right multiple. plural we had multiple and so now we're looking at with those multiple control rooms what happens when this video is leaving that control room uh before it hits youtube and so we're going to talk a little bit about some various steps in pieces in between that make that stream to YouTube happen. Well, you you really just, uh, I mean, give credit to that various steps. I mean, this was an intricate masterpiece because this is essentially, you know, you designed a, bes a bespoke system here that was, it was absolutely a masterpiece. I dare I say your, your piece de resistance of live streaming engineering was accomplished there. So Tim, like you said, right? So we had hundreds of live streams those were distributed amongst you know roughly about a dozen product channels on a typical live stream we send to one channel and that's it it's a set and forget uh but this was this was not the case in this one no we had you know these these studios uh, doing multiple events over day and night and as we yeah. said last time starting and stopping the stream each time each session essentially uh to and then restarting it to a different not even a different youtube event but a different youtube channel so and, let's and talk so about the i mean the the logistical challenge of right. that because essentially as we discussed earlier the director needs to push that now to a brand new stream key so th like how many tasks is the director already doing probably like 10 different things quality control and making sure that it's the right video making sure that they're following the action so now they have to start and stop and push to a new stream key tim right that was a recipe for disaster how did we prevent that it was going to be a really big problem and certainly we have some checks and balance we have our checklist we have our producer who's double checking but really that challenge of having to change stream keys every single session was really going to slow things down and lead to so many problems so yes. the solution that we came up with was to use those cloud tools that we mentioned in the first episode. So we had this on-prem solution in these physical control rooms, but we still took advantage of cloud distribution tools to both manage and monitor those streams. So we took the streams from the control rooms and pushed them up to a distribution system in the cloud where we were monitoring the stream for every studio. And our directive to the room uh, producers and directors was leave your encoders on. You're always streaming to uh, our system, to our monitoring system. And then that monitoring and distribution system pushes the stream to all of the various 
uh, stream keys for all the various product channels. So we basically built a matrix where any studio could go to any product channel at any time. So, let's, so I mean, let's, pro- let, let's stop that. And like, that is such, a, I mean, essentially that is the golden ticket right there. So the control rooms never, ever stopped streaming, even though they were streaming to just a plethora of different channels. Right. So the, the, where they started and stopped streaming was actually in the YouTube interface. And so the, the beauty of this is that, you know, the final point that's got, that really matters, the final start and stop button is that YouTube control room interface. And so we had the in-room director uh, and producer double check, triple check that they were on the right event, ready to go, press that start button at the end, press the stop button. Um, but they never changed the encoder settings. So they're always pushing to our system in the cloud that manages and distributes that to the various rooms. And then they just receive that in the correct YouTube control room. It's really interesting in the sense that even though they're the ones pushing it, it still needs to hit that metric. It still needs to do that routing. And we were, you know, let's be honest, a little nervous about this solution because this is, A, we have known no other production company to ever try this. This is really, I would say, a one of a kind because it's such a unique problem. Tools don't exist for this. We essentially had to put together different cloud-based solutions to make this worse, to work. Also, you know, a couple, Let's show some pictures about, you know, of how that looked. And, and you can see, you know, Tim, of how your, you know, the world looked like. Right. And so this was our master control station, right? Where uh, the engineer in charge, this was me during the nights and, and your colleague Jeff during the days, um, who were really, um, you know, monitoring all of the studios all at once and making sure that we had the right video coming out of the studio and then going to the right place. And so what we had here was a bunch of different tools and technologies to monitor and route the video. And and so one of the things we had was, you know, a dashboard that showed us a live NDI feed from the control room. So each control room had an NDI feed on our local network in the studio so we could see in real time what was happening in the studio. Then we had a way of monitoring as it hit our distribution network what was going where. And so we could see from any of the five different distribution points, we could see, uh, you know, making sure the right video was in the right place. And then we were based and on the dashboard. Let me, let me pause okay, you yeah. real quick and, and jump in. So because, you know, as we give tips and tricks to, you know, other productions that may be interested in doing this is if you plan on distributing NDI, you know, without throughout your um, facilities, as we have, you need to make sure that you're putting in the right network infrastructure. So in particular, we have a 10 gigabit master switch. We also have each port being capable of being a a one gigabit. So you need to make sure you have the thorough put to be able to distribute the signals without crashing the the system. Otherwise you're gonna get stuttery video. So you have to have the right um, framework in place. And NDI is very network intensive and, and it, it really so. requires, uh, as you said, a good backbone to the network. And, and so we did have that, thankfully, and we had routed essentially uh, these you know, various monitoring points throughout the building. And there's actually some others we'll talk about in, in a few minutes. Um, but you know, we have the ability to monitor in the building. We have the mon- ability to monitor as it hits the internet. And then we had those dashboards, those, those, those documents that we talked about last episode, where you know, we really had a mechanism to see um, you know, direct links to where the video was supposed to be. And so in addition to the director and producer in each room, double checking that the links and the stream keys and the event were correct, the engineer in charge in the master control room was monitoring all the outputs of all the studios and the events that all the studios were in to make sure they were hitting the right 
uh, event at the right time. And this was just essentially one last extra layer of safety because you had the director, you had the producer cross-checking to make sure the information was correct. So, and I believe that, uh, stop me if I'm wrong, I don't think we had one time where, you know, yourself or Jeff had to jump in and say, oh no, the wrong stream is going to the wrong channel because these systems were in place. Right. And those checklists really did their job. One of the things that we kind of didn't mention, and this is my, my fault here, I really should have said this earlier, one of the tools that we had inserted in that cloud production workflow, um, the, that stack of technologies that we built up, um, was for captioning. So one of the requirements uh, that, you know, Google has is that all their events have live captions, you know, um, and these are... Uh, I should say, and we're happy human, that they do. This is really, and this is a great. I mean, a great every service. event should have this as a bare bones. And I want to say these are human generated captions. This is not using Google's speech to text uh, technology. This is really a live person uh, using stenographic, you know, typing to to live type up the video. Let's and let's audio talk about the use case, right? Because YouTube can, if there's certain parameters, they're always changing of when you know, uh, YouTube can ger generate AI captions. What we typically find where those, the state of where the captions are now is that it's not, the, sh the strength is not there when it comes to sort of technical discussions at top. Right. If you're having a standard fireside chat, they're acceptable at best, but if and when you can use human captions, somebody to transco that, you know, definitely use the human the, the challenge is i mean the ai has gotten so much better even in the last couple of years and so and i think it's it's you know i think it's really important to have captions so if you have if the only option you have is to use ai i think definitely use that the challenge is for particularly for high profile events the kinds yeah. of things that the ai gets ai gets wrong is people's names your product name or your company <laughs> name uh, and you know has the you know it, it, the risk is yeah. that you know the ai puts words in your CEO's mouth and they say yes. something in the captions that they didn't really say. And it doesn't and, and have to be the CEO. It could be, no, you know, could just be anybody. anybody that is a but, representative you know, of the company. Right. And so the challenge is, you know, there's sort of the AI has no accountability, right? It's a, it hears no. what it hears. At least with the uh, human captioning, there's a person who has the better judgment to say, well, I don't think they really said that. I better not type that. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and so having that kind of extra filter. And so with this, we had this, uh, you know, a team of human captioners who were also remote, right? They're you say the word team, called. Tim, but I think it, can we more accurately describe this as a small army of captioners? A small army. We had all these captioners. And again, it was overnight. We had captioners during the day. We had captioners overnight. They were, in, they were in different time zones working across the clock to across the globe, across the clock to get this content transcribed. So we have this cloud system in this stack of tools where the video goes before it hits uh, you know, the YouTube channels. It hits this system that takes the audio from the video, sends it to the captioner's headphones where they type up the audio as they hear it in real time, two, 300 words a minute, send that text stream back to us in our system. It gets added to the video as a data stream and then sent to YouTube to be displayed in the player. So and if so you're if you're confused at this point, don't worry. It is a complex system. So basically, we're starting and stopping the stream all of the time. And on top of that, Tim, you're now saying that we had to have unique captioners. Every session essentially right. had a different yeah. captioner that then had to latch on to the correct stream. Right, right. And so we've got this, again, this matrix of tools and technologies that take the streams from these studios bring them into a system, uh, add the captions, send them to all of the product channels and uh, you know, make sure they're going to air in the right channel at the right time. And so that's and so where- No biggie, right? Work every single time. <laughs> 
never know exactly exactly <laughs> so yeah no big deal we did make it work it was really great we, we a testament to um the crew following the process right that we had a process we tested we worked Teamwork. it everybody followed the process Teamwork. those checklists really worked and making sure that that documentation communication made it happen and, and so you know we had those all those screens in that master control room that were letting us you know me and jeff monitor all these various tools and technologies all these various points of monitoring all at the same time yeah the other thing we had in the master control and i don't know if we really mentioned this before but when we talked about cloud production and we moved to on-prem we did actually still have one uh, studio effectively in the cloud. And <laughs> yes, that was essentially uh, a last minute ad. And it was really, we talked about scalability. The yep. advantage of the cloud is we can sort of just turn stuff on, right? And so we, we had a, a request to have a constant stream of some interstitial content on essentially the lobby of the event, the homepage of the event. And and so we, we spun up a remote software tool that let us stream a social wall and some interstitial music and some content to the lobby of the event. And that was running for 24 seven for like four seven. days. And the nice thing maybe. is, and, oh, please go ahead. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. The nice thing, right? We're, the nice thing, yeah, I mean, was that we can now distribute this workload to engineers, you know, throughout the country, throughout the right. world. So there's always right. somebody that was assigned and dedicated to this. And because it wasn't as involved as our inbound A or B station, you know, and it was a much more truncated, uh, you know, solution that they had to do. It, it was very good and it's very simple to to have, hey, you know, and we had you know engineers, I believe, in Georgia and Florida to to really help in and jump right. in and help us out. And, and the thing with this was it it it, it was running twenty four seven. So the other studios were running overnight, but there were dark periods where we sent the crew home to sleep. And and this uh interstitial content had to run continuously for the whole run of the show. And yep. so it meant that even when we've locked the doors and set the alarm in the studio to let everyone go home for, for a bit, uh, you know, we still had to make sure this was going live. And so having that come from a cloud tool that our teams remotely could monitor and log into and fix. And even, you know, I got a call that something had gone wrong and, uh, you know, I was, I was sleeping, I was working the night crew, so I was sleeping during the day. I got a call, you know, at noon and I, I got up, pulled up my laptop, logged in to fix the problem and went back to sleep. And so that was something <laughs> where, amazing. you know, yeah, and that's when and using that's the, the right tool, right? That's when you can like, when is it right to have cloud and when is it right to have on-prem? And um, right. I feel like we made the correct choices and the proof was in the pudding because, you know, every single session hit its target with the bullseye, which is a huge undertaking. And, uh, but also, you know, amazing credit to the, the Google events team and, uh, you know, making this uh, job a success because they were just so good at their job. It's really, it's really great working with professionals uh, through and through. Absolutely. And one thing we didn't talk about is, you know, um, this is streaming to YouTube and YouTube obviously is going to have an archive, but we also had to provide recordings of the sessions yeah. of every single session. And we had to provide recordings like immediately. We had a really quick turn because they were trying to edit any any disfluencies out of the recording and immediately post those to replace the online version. And so we were looking at, you know, trying to target like turnaround within the hour of getting this content yes. out and online. And so, you know, our traditional record workflow would be, you know, um, a hardware recorder in each studio um, recording, you know, high quality broadcast quality recordings on a deck. And we did that. But we needed a way to get faster turnaround recordings, uh, both recorded, but also quality checked and then handed off to the client immediately. What do we do there, Tim? Well, yeah, I mean, so like you said, so you can see behind me, we have built-in hardware recorders and we use those and essentially those became the backup. But by now having a dedicated record op, 
they did a great job of being another level of continuity. So essentially they listened to each program. They have a, a switch at their station where they listen to essentially the four different studios and bouncing between them. They could also stop and stop, start and stop the records because all of these signals are now coming in over NDI through the network to their station. So essentially they had a walkie talkie where they could speak to you, they could speak to Jeff. Hey, you might go ahead and check it out uh, Studio Two. But really what they did was just giving confidence that another right. layer that the, the content was, uh, it, it was streaming, it looked good and it sounded good. So they were another pair of eyes, both during the recording, but also afterward, where they would uh, take those files yep. that they were recording. Again, over the NDI network, we're talking about those cloud tools, those software tools, those those digital tools that we're using. Um, you know, NDI is one of those digital tools, technologies that we're using to make to distribute this video throughout the building. So in addition to monitoring it in the master control, the record op is taking those feeds, monitoring them, recording them. When the recording is done, clipping that record, double checking it to make sure that it really is the quality that we expect and then immediately transferring that over the internet to the client absolutely and in case said, it, if, if there, there was, was a, a problem yep good yeah yeah if there was we're going we're going to the same path we're going to the same studio if there was a problem there's always that uh that hard drive record and you know we did have one or two hiccups you know where we actually had to go to the the hard drive for various Definitely. reasons and so we're super you know we're super glad that we had it and uh, you know it, it's all you can't make the show again essentially. So right. it's all about right. having redundancies and backup plans. It was a truly live show. Everything we were doing was fully live. And so yeah. indeed having those backup plans, we actually had a third backup record uh, tucked away just in case we needed it. And, and so, you know, just having that level of redundancy and it enabled, you know, um, essentially a second set of eyes that record op was the backup to that engineer in charge to, you know, make sure that the product we're handing to the client really is ready to go. And I think that, you know, my last note on this is it's really, really important to have a set of eyes in there that is not in the control room, that is removed from all of the excitement and the conversation and the, 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 the energy of the control room. Mm -hmm. So they can just focus on this and they are essentially the truest viewer representative at that exactly. moment because exactly. they have zero control over adjusting any audio video. So they are your best, uh, they're your best asset for a, right. a large scale they're live stream of this. Just reporting what happened as it happened. Yep. And, you know, Tim, speaking of as it happened, I think we have a lot of other things that we can take away from this as lessons learned. There was a lot as, as talked, it happens that yeah, we can we talk talked about. a lot this episode. I think we should make that a second, another episode. I guess that's a fourth one now. Uh, and, and so I'd like to move on. But before we go, uh, want to thank you all for watching. Want to say, if you're finding this valuable, we'd love it if you could share this with your colleagues, friends, clients, network. And, you know, if you have questions for us, hit us up on the socials and we'll put those on screen. For those of you listening, it's at Tim and Tim Talk on all of the platforms. And with that, I think we better say goodbye. Awesome. Well, my name is Tim Kay. And I'm Tim Kerbavas. And we talked. Thanks, folks.